Uh, now, uh, before Marcy reads the uh, uh, Torah, I'm going to ask uh, Ben Weisberger to uh, come on up. And Ben is uh, going to give a brief uh, darash on this week's uh, Torah portion. So uh, today's portion comes from a place called Vayhi, and it covers the rest of Genesis. It also teaches a lesson that I find very important and can attest to as well. Uh, so have you ever had a bad day, like a really bad day? Like a your brother sold you into slavery, you were accused of having an affair, and then thrown into prison, bad day? <laughs> well, maybe not, ba- maybe not that bad, but we've all been there. Uh, second question, did you ever think that that bad day had a reason? Well, typically whenever something bad happens to us, we always think, well, things could be worse, and they could be, but uh, think about it. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers, any normal person would think that things were looking not too good for him, which they weren't. Slavery is an awful thing, and to be betrayed by your own brothers, that's even worse. But um, Joseph worked for his master more as a servant than a slave. He did not complain. And because of this, his master saw favor in him. And however, after an incident with his master's wife, he was thrown into prison. Um, From here, you would again think that things were looking not too good for him, which again, they weren't, but still Joseph did not complain. And because of this, the commander of that prison also saw favor in him and put him in charge of like the entire prison. Uh, And this led to him interpreting dreams and then finally being exalted by Pharaoh himself. Uh, So imagine if Joseph's brothers had not sold him into slavery. None of that would have happened. You see, there's a purpose for everything that happens, whether we think that the initial event is good or bad. Uh, now take Ephraim and Manasseh, for example. Here's a little excerpt from the Bible. It's not really little. It's like 10 verses long. Um, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he asked, who are they? They are my sons whom God has given me here in Egypt, Joseph answered his father. Then Israel said, please bring them to me so that I may bless them. Israel's eyesight was failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to his father, and Israel hugged them and kissed them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see you again, and now God has even let me see your sons. Joseph took them off his father's lap and bowed them with his face touching and bowed with his face touching the ground. Then Joseph put both of them Ephraim on his right facing Israel's left and Manasseh on his left facing Israel's right and brought them close to him. But Israel crossed his hands and reached out. He put his right hand on Ephraim's head, although Ephraim was the younger son. He put his left hand on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was older. Then Jacob blessed Joseph. May God in whose presence my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked May God, who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, may the messenger who has rescued me from all evil bless these boys. May they be called by my name and by the names of my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac. May they have many children on the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had put his hand had put his right hand on Ephraim's head he didn't like it so he took his father's hand in order to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's then he said to his father that's not right father this is the firstborn put your hand on his head his father refused and said I know my son Manasseh too will become a nation and he too will be important nevertheless his younger brother will be more important than he and his descendants will become many nations. And that is Genesis 48, 9 through 19. So as Jacob was blessing the two sons, he switched his hands, which is like a big deal and very much against tradition. The bigger blessing was now being given to Ephraim instead of Manasseh. This was God's doing. This frustrated Joseph because like a lot of people, He expected God to work in a very specific way, not making room for any surprises. However, sometimes 
God is pleased to work differently and even sometimes in unconventional ways. We may not understand God's ways, but we're not supposed to. Um, Everything good and bad happens for a reason. The Lord never does anything just for fun. Uh, no matter what your current situation may be right now, just be faithful. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Uh, I stumbled upon that quote on a ring I found at work while I was working on this garage. Coincidence? Never. Thank you. All right. So we are uh, here still in Brasheet. Now, like I said last week, uh, it's a little confusing because... We're teaching through uh, Genesis, and we're almost done, but we're not quite done, so we're a little lagging behind the weekly Torah portion now. First we were ahead of it, then we were at it, and now it has moved on, okay? Uh, and we're still uh, here in Brasheet, uh, uh, but not for long. We are almost at the end. We are I'm going to look at uh, some great truths in chapter 46 and 47 today. And then you got the Darash, I trust. Uh, and uh, it is amazing because it really begins, the, this last part really begins here. Uh, uh, talking about, if you read the Darash, we talked about the best years of, of uh, Jacob's life. Right? Remember that movie, Best Years? Of, oh, anyway. Uh, the, the best years of Jacob's life. And what's really interesting is the best years of Jacob's life is the end of his life. It's really the best years of his life, of his personal life, where he gets the most nachis and, and joy and, and all that is, the, is at the very end of his life. Uh, and, uh, and so this week and next week, it kind of meshes all together because uh, it's really, it, it's not just uh, the, uh, the epilogue, you know, in chapter 50, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. There's a lot more uh, going on here, uh, because what God meant for good uh, had to do with a lot of things here. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jacob lived a very difficult life, but what is fascinating uh, about the end of the story of Joseph uh, and uh, Jacob's experience is that what he gets the most joy out of, now you might hear this again next week because it's like part two of it. Uh, it the, the, what he gets the most joy out of is not how much land he had, not, not how much cattle he had accumulated, uh, not uh, you know, uh, 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 physical uh, things that he had accumulated at all, or his reputation, uh, or you know, how many books he wrote, or or uh, how he traveled the world, or uh, you know, uh, all the people he made a difference in their lives and all that. No, no. What does he get the most nachis out of? What does he get the most joy out of uh, at the end of his life? Is his family. Is his relationship with his family. With his sons and his grandchildren, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and all of that. And that is really, it's amazing uh, how this story begins to end. And the beginning of the end is, is, uh, is we're going to look at uh, uh, today. And then the end of the end, uh, hopefully, although I have my doubts, uh, we'll get to next week. It could be maybe the end of January, but we'll see. All right. So uh, last week, uh, we, were, we talked about the journey. The journey of Joseph and the journey of his brothers. And we talked about uh, uh, the observation from the Bible, from the text, that a lot of time is taken about this, this whole thing of, with Joseph and you know, holding one brother, go home, bring your younger brother, hiding the money, bringing Benjamin, hiding the goblet, bringing them back, and, and, and all of that, that whole thing could have been said in two sentences, you know, uh, but it's all drawn out. And, and it, it tells us a lot about how God was involved, not only uh, with uh, Joseph, but with the brothers, as well, that God was involved in their journey and in their life. Uh, and we saw how they uh, continually were experiencing uh, guilt uh, and waiting for the other shoe to drop 
uh, you know, throughout the text. And we'll even see it again. It, it goes all the way to the end. Uh, but God was certainly involved in, in their journey so that they could experience the forgiveness uh, of Joseph uh, and to realize that God worked even through all of that, all of what they did to bring them all to the same place. And so one of the lessons we learned last week is that we all, people have different journeys, you know, uh, journey stories. And, you know, that is the, uh, that's, the, that's the term today, you know, for share your testimony, is a share your journey story. Uh, and, um, and it really is that, you know, uh, certainly. And, and if we went around the room and we uh, shared all of our stories of, of how God worked in our lives and, and brought us to him, we would all have a different story. And some of them are, uh, some of them are uh, you know, kind of like I came to know the Lord when I was seven and, and uh, never looked back after that. Uh, others, uh, you know, it was a, sort of, if you remember, a long and winding road, uh, right? Uh, and, uh, and so everyone has a different story, but isn't it amazing how God is involved in all those stories? Uh, and it really is kind of mysterious. How is he involved when we get ourselves, you know, as I, you know, as uh, Laurel and Hardy used to say, another fine mess you've gotten us into, Right? Uh, and uh, how does God work in all that? And of course, I always love the very end of, the, of uh, Romans chapter 11 uh, on this, because really at the end of the day, uh, when you think about it, all you can really say is, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and unfathomable his ways. Uh, right? Because boy, if I ever... I, I, you know, saw this laid out from the beginning. I'd say, how could this be? You know, I, but uh, that is how indeed God works. So God works in the life of Joseph. God works in the life of his brothers. Now, I, uh, today we, we come to uh, the place where uh, Joseph now uh, tells the brothers he knows them and he forgives them. We saw that, actually some of that last, last week, the very beginnings of that. I, uh, but, but now uh, we see this, uh, this reunion. Uh, if you go back to chapter 45, uh, chapter 45 and verses um, uh, 13 to 15, okay? Now Joseph has told his brothers that, you know, I don't be afraid. You know, we, already, we looked at that last time. Uh, I'm Joseph. I'm alive. Don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be grieved, uh, you know, because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life and, and so on. Uh, but now we see emotionally this reunion that they have uh, here in verse uh, 13. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. And so here uh, we see this uh, reunion of the brothers. Now, the brothers are still a little skeptical, as we'll see, you know, as we'll see to the very end of the story. But nevertheless... Uh, there is indeed this uh, reunion, okay? Uh, and then if we go over to chapter 46 for a minute in verses 28 and 29, it says, now, uh, this is now when uh, Jacob uh, goes to Egypt and Joseph is reunited with his father. It says, now he sent uh, Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a long time. And then Jacob says, I can die now. I have seen my uh, son Joseph. And so now you have this, uh, this reunion. The idea of the reunion uh, is important uh, because... 
Uh, what you have in the story of Joseph, as we've said all the way through, is a paradigm, you might say, a model of uh, Israel, uh, Israel's uh, trajectory in the world. Israel being a blessing to nations, nations being a blessing to Israel. And then we see in Joseph, you know, uh, in Joseph himself, uh, we have a, a, a picture of Yeshua uh, where his brothers are against him, right? Uh, but little do they realize they're actually fulfilling the will of God, right? And, and causing all this to take place uh, so that they could be delivered from the... Uh, from the, from the famine. Uh, and now here we see this great reunion. The reunion, again, is, is, is significant because Scripture teaches us that there's going to be a day when all of Israel is regathered, right? When all of Israel is regathered and there is this uh, reconciliation of Israel. We actually see it, we saw it in, in, actually, in last week's Haftorah portion, okay? And maybe it was last week's Haftorah portion because last week is where we talked, talked about this in the Torah portion. And it's in Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. Okay, Ezekiel 37 is the dry bones chapter, right? Uh, and uh, Ezekiel sees uh, the valley of uh, dry bones. And then he learns this is, uh, you know, this is uh, Israel. This is Israel. And, and what happens to the bones? The bones rattle and the bones shake and, and the bones come together, okay? The bones uh, 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 come together. It says in verse 7, so I prophet in verse chapter 37 of Ezekiel, verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So the first thing is, is that the bones come together. That in and of itself is a very important part of the story, that the bones are scattered and the bones come together. A unification of, uh, of Israel. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly uh, great army. Uh, and then we're so fortunate that we have uh, in the text itself what it means. Otherwise, we would have volumes on all kinds of strange things, Okay. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely uh, uh, cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened up your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to to, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. And then uh, it goes on to say, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the bones of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they will be one in my hand. Okay. All right. So this is a prophecy of the unification of the Jewish people, the unification of Israel, the unification of Israel. You know how we read in lots of passages that the Jewish people will come from the four corners of the earth back to the land uh, uh, and, and then we, you know, we read uh, other passages about 
uh, how God will not only bring us back to the land, uh, but he will pour out his spirit upon us. You know, you read that in, in Ezekiel 36, you read it in Joel chapter 2, you read it in Zechariah chapters 12 to 14. I mean, it's, it's all over the place, right? Uh, and, uh, and so the unification of Israel is very important for the purpose of the blessing of the nations, okay? The nations don't become like 10 lost tribes or anything like that, okay? Uh, that's really important to get, all right? That uh, the 12 tribes are, are the, uh, the people of Israel, right? And, uh, uh, and the unification of them. Uh, and so that's why in, the, uh, in Ezekiel 37, it's very important that the bones come together. That's the first thing that happens, is that the bones come together, see? Okay? And that's why in chapter 36, by the way, of Ezekiel, it says that uh, God will bring the people from the four corners of the earth, right? And then he will pour his spirit out uh, upon them in that, uh, you know, in that order. But the unification of the people, okay? Now, today, boy, when you think about uh, uh, Israel, uh, the land of Israel, uh, and all the Jewish people, uh, it will be pretty miraculous, uh, for uh, all of Israel to be on the same page uh, uh, about much of anything, uh, all right? Uh, but that is indeed what is uh, going to be, and that's why you have at the high point of all this in Ro is in Romans chapter 11. All Israel shall be saved. All Israel will recognize Yeshua. All Israel will, will, will come to faith because in Yeshua is indeed the great unifier not only of the Jewish people, but of, uh, of, of humanity. And God's desire is the reconciliation of the world, right? And so here in the closing chapters uh, of Breshit, you see for the first time since really the beginning of the calling of the people, or could we say all the way from Genesis chapter 3, you have this uh, reconciliation this reconciliation uh, of uh, Joseph and his brothers and his father and Joseph's children uh, and the, the, you know, the, the, entire, uh, the entire family. Uh, and that reconciliation is a paradigm, a model of, uh, of, the, uh, of the future. Think about it. Uh, you know, um, when you look at Abraham... Uh, you know, he had, uh, you had Abraham and Sarah, you had Hagar, you have Ishmael. Uh, yes, uh, Ishmael and uh, Isaac, they meet up again at the funeral of their father. Yes. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau and all the problems there. Uh, and we, we read about the birth of all the sons, we, you know, from four different mothers, uh, and all the issues there. And then you have, the, you have Jacob and Esau. And you do see uh, the beginnings of reconciliation, don't you? With uh, Esau uh, and, and Jacob. Uh, but now uh, you have the 12 sons who, who are the sons of Israel, the chosen people, uh, warts and all, and all the things that the brothers did uh, yet God brings reconciliation, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so this emotional uh, description of Joseph and Benjamin, Joseph and his brothers, Joseph and his father, uh, really is a paradigm for all of us, not only in the meta story, in the big, you know, in the big scheme of things of the reconciliation of the world, but even in the reconciliation of ourselves, ourselves to God, our, our own relationships to, to our loved ones, our family, and so on. Uh, and, uh, and so may we be encouraged uh, to think that, boy, it was in the last years of Jacob's life that he saw something he never thought he'd ever see, this great uh, reconciliation of his uh, family. Uh, and certainly that is, I think, very important indeed, to us. Uh, and I might just say that how important it is for us to uh, demonstrate 
you know, uh, Israel's future today, as we like to say, by uh, uh, being a blessing to those nearest and close to us. Uh, of expressing forgiveness and reconciliation, a desire for reconciliation, if uh, if that is indeed the case, and so clearly we see that in the in the lives, in the personal lives of Jacob and his sons, uh, but also in the trajectory uh, of uh, of Israel. But there's more. We we see here also how God uses Pharaoh in a in a very interesting way in these chapters. God uses Pharaoh to bless Israel, okay? In chapter 45, in verses 16 to 20, we read, Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load up your beasts and go to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. And do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. And then uh, in a couple of verses in chapter 47, We read in verses 5, 6, and 7. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father and presented him to Pharaoh. And uh, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So, how interesting it is, is that you have this um, uh, concept of mutual blessing. Pharaoh blesses Israel. Egypt blesses uh, the sons of Israel uh, by basically saving their lives, right? Come to, come to Egypt uh, and, and uh, live in the choicest of the land, in the land of Goshen, do your thing, and, uh, and if you're, you have people who are really capable, put them over my livestock. You know, uh, it, is, uh, uh, it, it is amazing to see uh, this kind of relationship uh, between, the Israel, between Israel and Egypt. It certainly is uh, uh, quite a thing. And it goes back, of course, to uh, God's foreign policy, right? I will bless those that bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. You read that in, you know, what God uh, says to, to Abraham. And so here you see mutual blessing, mutual blessing. This is good for Pharaoh. This is good for uh, Jacob. And so Jacob blesses, uh, Jacob blesses Pharaoh, uh, very much uh, symbolic of this uh, uh, idea of Mutual, uh, mutual blessing, and again, a sense of um, uh, unification. This a sense of reconciliation. That this is like the best of times now. That here, we, you know, I, we don't have to be uh, we don't have to be concerned. Uh, we're going to go and we're going to uh, live uh, here in Egypt. Well, we know what the future holds. I mean. Uh, God told Abraham that, uh, you know, that his uh, descendants were going to uh, go into Egypt and be slaves for 400, year, 400 years. But yet, here in, at the end of Breshit, uh, what we see is uh, mutual uh, blessing. And we know that uh, God is not uh, territorial, right? He does not only dwell uh, 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 in, in the land of Israel, but uh, wherever his people are, and even more so, he's, as we know, God dwells indeed everywhere. Uh, but uh, clearly here, God uh, is, um, you know, is, uh, is with them. Now, <clears throat> uh, it's interesting. So when we look at this, we see that uh, this is also paradynamic or a model of the future, right? Because it's a great passage uh, in Isaiah that talks about uh, reconciliation of Israel and, and the nations. 
and the great empires around it, and so that's certainly uh, symbolic of the nations. But in Isaiah's day, the great empires uh, were Assyria and Egypt, right? And so what better way to talk about the um, reconciliation of Israel and the nations than to talk about Israel and Egypt and Assyria, right? Uh, that's Assyria, right? Okay. So in Isaiah chapter 19, beginning in verse 18, you have this passage that is uh, it's an amazing, amazing text. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will be speaking the language of Canaan and swearing allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. And it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with the sacrifice and offering, and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing, so that they will return to the Lord, and he will respond to them and will heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be a third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. What an amazing vision of the future, you see? Uh, and so we know that in the coming of the Messiah... What did Paul call in 2 Corinthians? He called a ministry of reconciliation, right? A ministry of reconciliation, a reconciliation of, of uh, people to God, of people to people, of people to the world, right? That uh, uh, a return uh, to the way that we were created to be as image bearers of God. And so uh, most certainly uh, we... Uh, as uh, uh, Messiah followers, uh, certainly have the uh, responsibility to demonstrate uh, this uh, uh, idea of, uh, of reconciliation. Uh, and that comes out, I think, very strongly, certainly uh, you know, in, this, uh, in this passage uh, of Joseph and Benjamin, Joseph and his brothers, his, uh, Joseph and his father, uh, Jacob and Pharaoh, uh, the brothers in Egypt, uh, this, uh, this coming together, uh, this sense of, um, you know, of, of reconciliation. Because one of the ways I think that God, uh, uh, that God works uh, in this world uh, is that he works not uh, only uh, through not only through uh, a direct zap from God, but through the lives of other people, right? And that is a little bit of, of, of what makes the first 11 chapters of Genesis a little different than the rest of the book. It's connected, uh, certainly, in that what you see at the beginning is, is uh, leading up to uh, the calling of Israel. But clearly, the economy of God, the way God uh, administers this world, this blessing in this world, changes a little bit with the coming of Abraham. And it comes through humanity. So the blessing comes through humanity, comes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, and uh, Israel to the nations and, and the nations to Israel. And so God manifests himself. He manifests himself in the relationships that people have with one another. Hence, the uh, God created man in his image, male and female, he created them, Right? Uh, in the, uh, the uh, initial relationship of humanity is man and woman. And in uh, uh, the relationship of man and woman, we see the image of God. But may I suggest that is a paradigm of all of humanity, uh, being uh, not only in our own selves the image of God, but in our relationships with, with one another. And that is why in the uh, New Covenant, you have lots and lots of statements about one another. 
And perhaps one that serves as a representative of them all is in the 12th chapter of Romans. Book of Romans, the 12th chapter, where we read in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Messiah. Can't you just hear Marty Getz singing that song? Right. Okay. So we who are many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. Now, this is a very, very important passage. Uh, because until the coming of, of Yeshua, you know, you have really the desire is for Israel to be one and for the nations to be one. But it, it's not internal yet. It's not, uh, there is not an organic relationship uh, yet. Other than, uh, you know, the children of Israel being uh, one family kind, kind of thing. But now, with the coming of Yeshua, when we embrace Yeshua, we become organically related to one another through the Ruach, through the Spirit of God. Okay? It's not just we happen to agree with each other that who Yeshua is. It's not like a club, you know? Uh, a club where, uh, you know, well, uh, we agree on this, and, and so therefore we're one, we're one, solidarity, you know, or whatever it might be, a social, political, whatever you have going there. But uh, in Messiah, it is organic. It's like we're part of each other. That's what organic means. We're part of each other, which, by the way, is why. Have you ever had this experience? You know, you're part of a, uh, of a community of believers uh, for a while, and and maybe it's like when you come to know the Lord and, and you get to know people and, oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and rich fellowship. And then for whatever reason, you move somewhere else, right? And you find, wow, it's kind of like a continuation. You know, yes, people have different personalities and, you know, and different names and that kind of thing. But yet I can still find that, that fellowship because we're organically related, to all Messiah followers, wherever they may be, even if we don't like them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, we're organically related to all Messiah followers. Not because we have the same doctrinal statement or something. Because who has that? You know? Uh, but because we are connected uh, in Messiah. Because God's desire is that we would be one. Because He is one. And you know... I could go off on a whole thing on the social, uh, the social meaning of the triunity of God, but that's a whole other story for uh, another uh, uh, 500 sermons or something, okay? Um, but we reflect that unity, or that's what we're supposed to. That's what we demonstrate. That's what the body of Messiah is supposed to be. And don't we talk about that in many, many, many different ways, right? We talk about what we, we're... We're uh, one body, different body parts. Paul uses that as a metaphor, you know, of the unity of, the, of, the, of the, the body of Messiah, the community of Messiah. Well, here in Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, here, we, uh, here we are, right? So uh, let me just read a little portion, a little portion of that, okay? Uh, going past verse uh, 4. So we who are many, or verse 5. We who are many are one body and Messiah and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. If a prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, exhorts, exhortation, gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, shows mercy, cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in, in tribulation, devoted to prayer. And he goes on and on. Uh, you know, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Oh, see, that's where that is. Okay. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil. To, to anyone, respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, never take your revenge, so on and so forth, right? So, you know, when Paul, he, he does this periodically. He goes, he's like on a roll, you know, and he does this in a couple of different places, right? And he, he, you might say, why does he, why these particular ones? I think it's, it's volume. 
that he's making a point with the volume of statements here about one another and being part of one another and what it means to be organically related to one another, that uh, we are not uh, to have enmity. Enmity is uh, the antithesis or the opposite of what it means to be in a body of Messiah. Rights, privileges, what's mine, that is not what it's about. And we need to certainly remember that and demonstrate that. Now, I, I think that, you know, the, the wonderful thing I think about Beth Messiah is we've had a pretty, over a very long period of time, this great stability, but we need to, we need to guard that. We need to guard what's there and never take that for granted, right? Uh, and make sure that we continue, as we have, to have uh, these kind of relationships because that is what the world needs, right? That is what the world needs to see is that kind of uh, unity uh, where we are ourselves, we're our own ethnic group beings, right? But we're one in Messiah, and part of that is our testimony uh, of uh, Israel and the nations. Uh, but uh, as we say uh, uh, sometimes, it's not just Israel and the nations, it's the nations of the nations, <laughs> right? Uh, that uh, uh, all of us, regardless of, of who we are, uh, we are one body uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Messiah. And so we see that in the, toward the end now of the story of Joseph, this, this reconciliation. We see it of the family, and we see it with Egypt, right? Uh, and then uh, something interesting else we see here, and that's uh, as, probably as, far, as far as we're going to get. Okay, so uh, when uh, uh, um, Jacob is now leaving to go to Egypt. An amazing thing happens in this story. Something that doesn't happen anywhere else in this story. God speaks. God speaks. In the whole story of Joseph, we read about how Joseph trusts God. We read how people talk about God. We read about things that God might be doing. But now God speaks. And he doesn't talk to Joseph. He speaks to Jacob. You know, Jacob is looking better and better, isn't he? Just thought I'd throw that out there. All right. So Israel set out, in verse chapter 46, So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, uh, there's something interesting about that. Uh, the, uh, the word for uh, sacrifice here is uh, zevach, zevach, okay? So it's not like a burnt offering, you know, it isn't a sin offering. Uh, and so in your Bible, in most translations, uh, in the Torah, when you read the, just the word sacrifices, that word, sacrifices, it's this word, zevach. And when it has an object, like sacrifices of something, almost every single time it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving, okay? I tried to find one that wasn't because usually if I say every single time, someone will bring it up to me. So uh, I'll say almost, maybe all, but almost all the time, it's speaking of sacrifices of thanksgiving. And you read about them first right here. Not, not in this passage, right here in Brashit. The first time, you know, the very first time is with Jacob and Laban and the covenant that they make. That's the first time you read the word. Isn't that interesting? So it has something to do, one could say, with uh, perhaps uh, Jacob is thanking God that, you know, it's, it's, it's like to use a, a very uh, reductionist, an expression in our, he won the lottery for crying out loud. You, you know, uh, reconciled with his sons. He's on his way to see Joseph. He's, they're they're going to have food. They're going to be okay. They're bringing the whole, you know, the whole mishpacha with them. Everybody's coming. Uh, and it's fabulous. So in Beersheba, so symbolic, Beersheba, right? This is where Isaac brings an offering to God. Beersheba, many things happened in Beersheba. Jacob himself I uh, had an experience with God at Beersheba, you know? Uh, and so what this is, that, that God speaks to him right here, it's almost like 
This is the end of the story of the patriarchs. Leaving the land. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham left his land and went to uh, uh, Canaan. And now God speaks to Jacob at the end and says, don't worry, you know, I'll be with you and you're coming back. All right. But God is God is with them as they bring the whole family uh, to Egypt, because this really is the beginning of the end of the story of the patriarchs. After this, it's the nation of of Israel. And so it's quite significant that Jacob offers some kind of offering of thanksgiving to God. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Now, you know, what's just a little interesting about that is if you put Abraham in there, that's exactly what the the exchange that God has with Abraham uh, when he's holding the knife, uh, you know, over, uh, over Isaac. A dramatic moment, in other words. Then there's another moment when God says to Jacob, Jacob, one time, here I am. But uh, uh, it reminds me mostly of that, uh, that, that dramatic moment when God stayed a- Abraham's hand, right? And this is a dramatic moment. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. And so... Uh, first, he, he identifies, I am God. I am the God of your father, right? The God, uh, the God of Isaac, the, uh, the God of Israel, right? The God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, Isaac. Do not be afraid uh, uh, to go down uh, to Egypt, right? You know what's interesting? Sometimes people pick on uh, Jacob about, you know, it says he was fearful in like five different places. But you know what's really interesting? Is that God tells Abraham, Isaac, and Moses also not to be afraid. Okay, uh, so like, like they're in the Hall of Fame, right? You know what I'm saying? So all of us at times can be fearful, right? God says, don't be afraid. One of the things uh, that uh, you learn here is that, it, well, it doesn't, one of the things for, with all of them, we don't read something in particular that they're afraid of, but God says, don't be afraid. God knows what they're already feeling. And God knows what they're already thinking, Okay. And so he says, do not be afraid. God is going to stay with them on the journey, right? Do not be afraid to go down to it. I will make you a great nation there. This is not the end of something. This is really the beginning of something, right? I will make you a great nation there. And that is very important. You know that? That part of the Seder, toward the beginning of the Seder, we talk about that, that... And especially when you read the traditional uh, reading from the Haggadah, it begins with, we went down to Egypt few in number, and God made us into a great nation there. You don't start with the plagues, right? If you know what you're doing anyway, right? Okay? It starts with, God made us a great nation there. And, and so isn't it amazing that in Egypt, God made us a, uh, you know, made us a great nation, Okay? I will go down with you to Egypt. So God says, I'm not going to leave you alone. And you know, isn't that what, to save some time, isn't that what Yeshua said to us? Right? You know, I'll never leave you. Right? I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? Uh, no matter where we are. And so certainly, uh, we, should not be, uh, we should not be fearful. We should be able to be like like uh, like Jacob, and you know, doesn't it remind you of the great uh, Psalm, just the very beginning of Psalm 27, uh, where uh, we read, "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life; whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell." And he goes on and on. At the end of verse three, I shall be confident. I shall be confident. And so God is saying to uh, Jacob, indeed, I will be with you. And then he says, I will bring you up again and Joseph will close your eyes. Meaning that you're going to die and you're going to be with Joseph. Joseph will, Joseph will indeed uh, be, uh, be with you. And then it goes on uh, to talk about how they, uh, uh, they rose from Beersheba and went. We'll talk about that 
the next time. But uh, clearly, uh, we see here the beginning of the end of the story, uh, the reconciliation of uh, Joseph and, and his Jacob, we could say Jacob and his family. It's coming uh, where he sees uh, uh, Joseph and they're, and they're reconciled. Uh, and uh, the uh, reconciliation, at least for the time of, of nations, we see the picture of that. Uh, and so uh, I guess at the end of the day, what it says uh, to us is God indeed, like Paul, gives us a ministry of reconciliation. That we've been reconciled to God, and we need to be like a we need to be like a Joseph here. We need to be the hinge of reconciliation. Joseph initiates the. He doesn't just save their lives. He doesn't just save their lives. He could just say, "Okay, I saved your life. Enjoy the land," <laughs> you know. But he doesn't do that, right? He is the hinge of reconciliation of his family, and that's who we need to be. We need to be the, uh, we need to take upon ourselves the ministry of reconciliation. We, as much as it depends on us, we need to be at peace with all people, starting with the people that we know the best, our families, uh, friends, close friends, and moving out, where, out from that. And certainly God is in that, and that is such a wonderful demonstration of the reality of the good news of Yeshua. That in both word and deed, we demonstrate Israel's future today to a world that so desperately needs it. And so uh, next week, as we continue the, uh, the, the story of reconciliation in, uh, you know, at, the, at the end of Breshit, it really comes home to us that this indeed is God's desire. Uh, and so may it indeed be ours as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for this great story of reconciliation. Thank you that we have been reconciled to you, that while we were helpless, while we were enemies, Lord, you died for us, came and then rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that we're reconciled to you. You've removed the sin a barrier between ourselves and you. Lord, uh, uh, thank you, God, that in Joseph we see a wonderful picture of, of Yeshua, uh, and Lord, uh, aren't we all, God, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, our people in Isaiah 53, we thought we misunderstood him. We had it all wrong, but he ended up suffering for our sins. He took our sins upon himself. And so, God, uh, we thank you, Lord, and may we indeed be reconciled uh, to you uh, and to others. And Lord, we look forward to that great day of the ultimate of reconciliation when Yeshua will sit on his throne in Jerusalem and all the nations will come to Jerusalem. Lord, we, we look forward to that day and we thank you that you have given us a little, a little taste of it, a little slice of it today. Lord, may we uh, have a vision for reconciliation. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.